0: Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. If you'd like to give to Life Church, you can do so by texting the word lcgive to four three five zero six. And now, a message from one of our pastors. Hey, I want to let you know, in the next uh, next seven weeks, uh, we are going to be going through a series called Divine Direction, and I want to invite you to jump on in here, uh, all the way in, both feet in and uh, be be a part of this over the next seven weeks as we discover uh, seven relatively simple decisions uh, that we need to make or choices that we can make uh, to follow after God's best in our life. And we really want to see God unleash uh, for each one of you his blessing and his grace and uh, so much more. And uh, in this, I want to give you a heads up of something that we're going to be doing uh, coming up on November 17th. So I'm giving you plenty of time uh, to think about this and plan for it. How many of you have ever heard of Convoy of Hope, right? If you've been around uh, Live Church for a while, Convoy of Hope, a fantastic ministry that we've supported for many, many years, and uh, many of you give directly to them, and we've had special offerings given to them uh, whenever there is a natural disaster, uh, whenever there is something going on in the world around us uh, that, that requires humanitarian aid, Convoy of Hope is there. Uh, Hurricane Dorian, they were ready to go and in place. Uh, that was Bahamas back a little... Uh, about a month ago, a little bit over a month ago, uh, they were there and ready to go. As soon as the storm passed, Convoy of Hope with ships and supplies were already in place. And so we've supported them for many years. One of the ways that we have in the past, we did not do it, I don't think, the past couple of years, uh, but an, a, a program that they have is called One Day to Feed the World. And it's one day that we, we kind of set aside to be able to take up an offering so that we can feed uh, the children. There's over 200,000 children a day. Uh, that are supported through Convoy of Hope, and we wanna be able to be a part of that. And so the one day to feed the world is basically uh, that you take one day's wage, whatever that is for you, one day's wage, and then we give that as an offering to make a difference in uh, the vulnerable, the broken, those uh, the families, obviously, that uh, Convoy of Hope helps, and that will be November 17th. So I just wanna give you a heads up so that you can start now preparing and planning uh, for that so we don't hit you like the day of and go, hey, oh, and by the way, this is going on. We want to give you some heads up there because we want to make a, a real statement for what it means to, uh, to be with those who are vulnerable and in positions where they cannot provide for themselves. So that's coming up November 17th as part of our uh, part of our series. I'm going to slide this back here real quick. Um, we've got this table here. And this table is uh, Shelley and I's first kitchen table right here, right there. Bought that back in 1992. I mean, it has... Uh, It has uh, nail polish on it now. Our kids have used it, uh, abused it, done all sorts of wrong things with this thing. Um, But this was our very, very first uh, kitchen table it was in, uh, we had it in our 400-square-foot uh, apartment at Central Bible College. How many of you have a 400-square-foot apartment? That's a tiny, tiny little apartment, and this filled up the kitchen. It was too much for the kitchen. It was pretty crazy. And so, uh, so I remember sitting down, and we would, uh, we would sit down. Oh, hey, I got people over there I can't see. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this because I need eye contact, right? That's kind of part of who I am. Um, and uh, so we would sit down for dinner, uh, sometimes a very meager dinner when we were at Bible College. I remember one time, I didn't. Tell this first service so you guys get a story that they don't know uh, we were we, we were really down to our, our last dime I mean literally down we were it was just a, a, a very financial problematic time for us in Bible College and we, we were done we had very little food left in the uh, in the house we had like a half pound of meat that was frozen of, of ground beef and we had oatmeal and we're like, oh, this will be great. We'll make some meatloaf, right? That's, that's what you do with that. So we made, made some meatloaf. And as Shelly had, had mixed it in and all that stuff, realized that there was a large portion of what was in the oatmeal mix was actually like weevils and things like that. And yeah, that's exciting, right, when you get to that moment. And so, you know, she breaks down crying. And we're having this moment, like, what are we going to do? So we did what any young married couple would do. We start looking in couch corners right? For like pennies and quarters that dropped. And so we were able to find enough money in our, in the car that we had in the corners and stuff that was around. We, we found out we had enough money to go to Taco Bell when they had 50 cent tacos way back in the early nineties. And we got ourselves three tacos. It was really exciting. So and then payday was the next day we survived. So uh, really a great moment in our life. Thank God for that. Um, so that was the kitchen table, right? We have all these stories that go along with this in our early years. And I also have this, and this is, um, this is a photo album and a scrapbook that uh, my wife put together. Uh, she had noticed we had a ton of pictures from our family, uh, from my side of the family, the Wootons and the O'Shaughnessys. How's that for a good Irish name on my mom's side? And uh, otherwise it would, whatever, I'm self-explaining if it was O'Shaughnessy and the guy side would be O'Shaughnessy. But anyway, um, so, uh, so my mom and dad's side, uh, the Wootons and the O'Shaughnessys. and she noticed we had a bunch of pictures kind of the old school pictures of our family and grandparents and all of that. And so she one one year, a number of years ago, put them all together in this in this album. And I remember when she took it down with us, we were down in Alabama. for my grandmother and I have an aunt and uncle that lived down there. And we showed her this and her eyesight's now gone, but we showed it to her. This is back probably seven, eight years ago. And uh, she was just in tears looking through all the pictures and, and seeing her husband who had passed away, Grandpa Dick, and you know all of these things and just the stories that are represented in here. And I'm able to go back to my uh, very early years and, oh, how cute I was, keyword was <laughs> at that point. Um, and, I, and I see that I've got a couple of pictures uh, for you. These are just some. So that's uh, my mom and dad in the middle and then his parents on the, uh, on the outside there. Uh, so I, I looked like my dad quite a bit. So but that is my mother there. So uh, and then the next picture, there's my dad. And then there I am, that lovely little yellow chunk. Uh, that's me. And then my, my brother uh, sitting there as well. This next picture is actually of my grandfather. This is uh, Grandpa Dick, and this is him probably in 1935, I believe, or somewhere around there. Uh, Boy Scouts, um, this is uh, him, I think, as an Eagle Scout. And, you know, just a a treasure for us as a family and the stories that go along with all of this, right? And I I hope you guys have albums. I hope you have uh, old pictures that you can look back on. Uh, In here are... um, is a marriage certificate from uh, from 1913 of uh, my grandparents or my my grandfather's parents when they got married. I mean, so just a, a really cool treasure that we have in here. You know, and along with this on all of these stories that are there, some of these stories are incredibly encouraging, right, uh, of even God's providence and, and the way that God works in lives. Others of these stories that are in here, though, are extremely painful. And I can... Uh, I can look and I can see my story kind of unfold in here, because a lot of it starts when, when I was just a little kid. And I can see it unfold. And for me, uh, there's, uh, for those of you who know my, my testimony a little bit, um, there's kind of a, a, story, a tale of two childhoods in a lot of ways. Up through about the age of 12 or 13, uh, honestly, I had everything I could ever want. I mean, both my parents had great jobs. Uh, My dad worked here in Salt Lake at Williams Company, which was Northwest Pipeline, which I don't even know what it is anymore. Uh, But he worked there uh, when we lived here in Salt Lake. Uh, Well taken care of. We lived over in Sandy and uh, really had no needs in my life, right? I mean, everything I could ever want uh, was taken care of for me. But that strong foundation, even though we attended church, it wasn't real to me. It was uh, something that my parents did, and there were times when I enjoyed it, but I really could care less, and I certainly was not following after Jesus because around the age of 12 or 13 is when cracks began to form in our family's foundation. And I found out my father was an alcoholic, um, that he had hidden even from my mom and from everybody and had no idea, and so real difficulties began to to ensue with that. And in, in these pictures... Uh, you can kind of see this start to unfold in the story that is, that is my life. All of a sudden, my dad's not in as in many pictures as he becomes less and less faithful and, and, you know, not keeping promises. My mom's trying to hold the family together, and, and you, you can see this story unfold here. And I remember thinking as, uh, you know, a 12 or 13-year-old, as that starts to crumble, uh, I'm a junior hire. Junior hires don't think about a whole lot, <laughs> right? Uh, and at least that's how I was as a junior hire. Um, and I started to to follow down a path very similar to my dad's, even as a junior hire. Alcohol was, I could find it anywhere I wanted to. Uh, marijuana was certainly available. I had friends who sold it, and I sold it. And you know what I'm saying? It was just part of that there. In my I was going down the same road that I saw my dad, minus the marijuana side of it. That wasn't involved in my dad. Um, and in, in those decisions were leading, obviously, to some dark places in my life. So my family continues to fall apart. And about 16, 17 years of age, I realized I, I do not want the story that's being told of my life to be the story of my life. And God began to kind of shake me to the core. And I see just uh, my, my dad falling apart. And I'm like, Lord, I do not want to go down this road. Like I shared a couple of weeks ago, I, I remember, I, I told you guys, I remember the last time I said a cuss word in, uh, in August of 87, and uh, it's pretty weird, isn't it, that I remember that so vividly because it was a big one, um, and, uh, <laughs> but I remember thinking after that, because remember, I'm trying to follow the Lord at this point in my life, and, and, and I remember thinking at the time, probably not, but looking back going, I don't want my life to be this, I don't want my life to be this. A heartache, a lot of brokenness, a lot of things that happened here in the family that just shake you to the core, right? And I think for a lot of us, um, we do face traumatic moments in our life, right? There are things within our families, and maybe not to the extent of this, but there. Well, let me ask this question: How many of you grew up in a perfect household? Uh, okay, we got one. All right, that's great. That is. Per- you need to write a book and uh, tell us how that was done. That's great. Um, so for, for 99.9% of us here today, we did not grow up in that perfect household, the one that you would go, I want everybody to grow up in a home like this. And so a story is told of our lives, and then the question becomes, when we become older, are are we wanting to repeat what we saw in our parents? Are we wanting to repeat in who we saw in our guardian's are we wanting to repeat what we saw in our adopted parents? Are we wanting to repeat what we saw in our grandparents? Because they're the ones who raised us, or our aunts and uncles. Are we wanting to do, are we wanting to repeat what we saw in that story? Um, I, I love flipping through this because, you know, I begin to see my mom when she was just a little baby. And I see my dad when he was very, very young. I see him in college. But I know that I don't want to repeat some of that story of my childhood. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? So easy just to walk down the road that you saw portrayed for you in parents, uh, other loved ones, maybe people that were key influencers in your life that were uh, bad influencers. And so the question then for us, and really over the next seven weeks, is what story do we want told about our lives? What's the story? We can, in recognizing the patterns and events of our life, the ebbs and flows of our story, um, when when we start to understand what's happened in the past, we can better understand the decisions that we need to make now so that our future story is different. And I believe this next statement is for some of you who are here today. I think some of you are longing to hear what I'm going to say next, and this is it. It says, while events cannot be unwritten, they can be redeemed. It can be redeemed. My uh, father took his own life in 1998. And uh, he, would have been 50, he was 55 at the time. And I remember uh, in about the age of 40 or so is when he started really struggling um, with alcoholism and, and uh, really that kind of controlling his life. And I remember when I, turned about, when I turned right about the age of 40 as well, uh, that voice, you, you guys probably know the voice I'm talking about, the voice that started speaking to me that said, you're going to go down the same road your dad did. I remember distinctly hearing that voice and fighting through it, and I've, I've journaled since 1988, and, and I know there are parts in there where I'm saying that voice is at it again that I cannot change, that I cannot change what's been written for me. That's as a 40-year-old, I'm a pastor, I'm following after, I love Jesus, love my family, and that voice still haunts us, doesn't it, about the story of our past. But the great thing is God can redeem our stories to make something totally different. So this first week is all about starting something new. This divine direction, making that choice to start something new in your life or maybe even start continuing something that you made a decision on a long time ago. Um, and this is talking about small habits in our life. And there's a book out there, and uh, the name of it escapes me. I meant to look it up uh, between, uh, between uh, services. I've got it sitting on my desk. Um, but it talks about habits, and one of the key things that it talks about is keystone habits in our life. And what these keystone habits are in our life are, are these habits that help us make better decisions because we're doing these habits. Like we start doing these, and because we do them and are successful on them, it helps us live our lives in such a way uh, that we have discipline in our life and things like that. So here are a couple of keystone habits in our life that we can have. Uh, The first one is making your bed. How's that for spiritual? (laughs) Right? Start off every day by making your bed. Here's what studies show. Uh, making your bed is correlated with increased productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and better budgeting skills. If you make your bed and you get up in the morning. Another thing it does, uh, bed makers, according to psychology today, are also more likely to like their jobs, own a home, exercise regularly, and feel well-rested. Just if you make your bed. So come on, folks. As a church, let's rise up and make our beds, right? How many of you, this is already a habit in your life? Thank you, because it's not in mine. So anyway, the next thing, (laughs) how's that for full disclosure? The next thing is, and this is very simple, but it's something that's uh, certainly of a lost art in our culture today, uh, eating together as a family. That's one of those keystone habits that if you do, Uh, The the Bible says, uh, studies say, (laughs) the Bible might even say it too, but studies say that your children do their homework more if you eat together as a family. It's a byproduct of it. If you have this discipline in your life, there are other disciplines that begin to uh, show up in your life and eating together as a family. For those who are wondering what to do um, because you've got young kids or uh, at your home, you've got teenagers and you're struggling getting them talking because you say, how was your day? And what do they say? Fine, 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 good, (laughs) you know, something like that. Uh, One of the things we did in our home, and we learned this from somebody else and we thought it was great, so we uh, commandeered it and put it in in our family, is uh, something called Mad, Sad, Glad. Uh, And what we would do is we would go around our table, all six of us, we would sit there and we'd go, okay, today what's something that made you mad, what's something that made you sad, and what's something that made you glad? And we would go through that and we would talk about important things in the lives of our kids because they would talk about their emotions, begin talking about what's going on in their lives. So try it. Try it with your spouse when you get home today, and it's just you two, and you go, all right, what made you mad today? What made you glad? What made you sad? So try it. Do that. That'd be great. Another uh, keystone habit, flossing. Flossing, right? So it's been said, floss the teeth you want to (laughs) keep, right? Um, Unless you want to get, you know, when you get, you know, you're, you're older and you got no teeth, you go, yes, I didn't floss. That was my plan the whole time. Um... In the book, uh, Divine Direction by Craig Rochelle, he actually talks about this, and this is super true, and, and you might uh, resonate with this or something similar. For him, fl- he didn't want to floss, did not want to do that in his life, but he started flossing after his, after his dentist uh, told him, you need to do this, but he really made it a, a point, and what he found out was that if he flossed in the morning and flossed at night, that his days went better because this became a keystone habit for him so that he was found that he was more disciplined in other areas of his life when he could point back and say, I flossed this morning. And it became a spiritual thing for him. I flossed this morning, devil. You don't got me, <laughs> right? And so it becomes a keystone habit in your life. And the last one here, um, and we're going to get spiritual here, the last one here is a daily Bible verse, right? Uh, for me, uh, when I wake up in the morning, uh, the first thing I do after the alarm goes off and I turn it off and on like five or six times, after that, um, what I do is, is I open up the Bible app, the first thing, and then the verse of the day uh, pops up there. And for me, it's a habit for my day. And I find out that when I do that, um, that I, f- I find my day goes much better for that. And uh, I missed the other day, can I tell you, my streak right now is six, but before that, it was about 170-something, and so I was really upset that I missed that the other day. But I've got 20, 24 perfect weeks this year, so super excited about that, which is, I'm going to be growing in that, right? It's one of those things. Um, but uh, it becomes a daily habit for us to take a look at the Word of God and what is it, what is it how does it apply to our lives. And uh, I hope and pray that your spiritual walk is deeper than the daily Bible verse, right? And I hope you read the Bible more than that. But at the very least, let it be a keystone habit in your life that you begin cultivating, because I think God will, uh, will honor that. Uh, your best decision is the next one that will help you be the person that God created you to be, <laughs> right? The, the, the next decision, the, the best decision is the next one you're going uh, to make uh, to be the person that God has created you to be, That starts with these habits, And sometimes we get frustrated because we want to be an overnight success when it comes to these habits, right? We want to just be able to wake up in the morning and say, yep, I got this, have this one habit, and it's all good. The rest of my life is perfect. Uh, But there's really a myth uh, along with this idea of overnight success. Um, Usually, behind an overnight success is a long string of decisions and heartache and problems and solutions leading up to the point of success it you like if somebody were to say um, uh, the Mar- Marvel Studios Infinity Wars Endgame was an overnight success. No. <laughs> uh, it took 10 years and 22 movies to reach to that point where it's now the highest grossing film of all time, right? It was not an overnight success. There's a story of a guy by the name of Daniel, strangely enough, in the book of Daniel uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, he was a man uh, known to be a man after God's own heart. He was, uh, you know, certainly a leader. He was somebody that had proven himself time and time and time again uh, to, to have wisdom and to have insight. And he shared leadership with a bunch of other governors and a bunch of other leaders in the area who did not like him. They were jealous of him, jealous of the favor that he had with the king, jealous of his abilities or whatever it was. But somehow they wanted to trap Daniel and get him to the point where his story ended. They wanted to figure out a way to kill Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5 says this, Then these men said, as they're trying to figure it out, and they can't figure it out any way, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel was a man of integrity. They couldn't get him there. Daniel was a man of his word. They couldn't get him in lies. They couldn't find anything except for his faith, and they decided to figure out a way to have there be a crossroads where his faith would come into contact with something that would require his death. And so a decree was made that you had to worship only the king, and uh, if you didn't, you would be thrown into the den of hungry lions. Now, what would happen in our world today if a decree was made here in the United States that you had to worship only the president or worship only some person? What would happen in that moment? Would we be able to stand or the church crumble? Well, it turns out that Daniel, after this decree was given, um, was not an overnight success because there's something in Scripture that reveals to us that there was a whole lot more at work. And this is what happens. It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, this is the key, as he had done previously. Daniel was not an overnight success. He was a success all because at some point in his life, whether that happened when he was a child, whether it happened when he was a young adult, whether it happened at some point before this where the habit of prayer three times a day was a part of his life so that when a decree came, his faith was unshakable. Daniel was not an overnight success, but it started with a keystone habit in his life that allowed him to live his life in such ways to bring glory to God. Now, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Many of you, even with the right habits, even with the right relationship with God, everything happening correctly, you're going to be thrown into a position of vulnerability. I think that's uh, putting it lightly for Daniel. In a lion, in a, a um, hungry den of lions is where he was thrown. Now, he survived. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the book of Daniel. Um, he survived and thrived. His story continued. The people who tried to end his story, however, they were the ones thrown into the hungry den of lions, and their story stopped. Overnight success. Uh, you guys know Dyson vacuums, right? Can, can I ask, is it weird if I ask if you have a Dyson vacuum? Because I know they're kind of like all around anymore, so we got a few, got a handful of people Dyson vacuum. Great vacuums. I mean, there's a lot of really positive things about the Dyson vacuum, um, was it an overnight success? Well, here, really quick, i got a couple pictures. I love this thing on the left, the air blade, right? That's in bathrooms now, and you see that? And I'll just go and just like... <laughs> so if I <laughs> like get my hands wet again and then dry them off, I mean, it's just so much fun, uh, right? <laughs> it's weird. Hey, that's right. But if there's not one in the bathroom, I just leave, you know, okay. Um, so you got the Dyson Airblade and this other... I mean, they're all like works of art, aren't they? I mean, a vacuum as a work of art that's beautiful, right? So... Not an overnight success, though. For Dyson, who is incredibly successful now, 5,127 failed prototypes of the Dyson vacuum. But he had a keystone habit of not stopping, of just going for it, learning and growing and getting to the point where you have these beautiful works of art. Now, he wants to build an electric car. That's really, I mean, that's one of the things he's talked about. So this is a prototype that I found. (laughs) All right, the Dyson vacuum car. I just think that's so awesome. So uh, I don't know if that's real or not, but I hope they make that because that would, I would drive that thing. That is so cool. So Daniel was not an overnight success. Series of decisions and habits in his life that led to a point where he was unshakable in his faith. And the habit started with a decision that he made at some point in his life, maybe a long time ago, but for some of you, a decision today is going to change your future with a new story that's going to be written because God has his hand on your life. There's an, ama- an interesting story in the Old Testament as well in First uh, Kings chapter 20, and uh, there's this king by the name of Ahab. Now, typically, uh, when, you, when we read the Bible, if you read the story of Ahab, it's actually a terrible example Ahab is not somebody that you want to follow after. I mean, he's got all sorts of problems and struggles. Uh, He kills the prophets of God. I mean, it's just, this is one bad dude. However, God still has a plan for the nation of Israel, even with a king of that nature. And there is another kingdom that's to the north of Israel. Now, right now, quick history lesson. Uh, Israel at this point is divided into two nations. You have Israel in the north, and you've got Judah in the south. And so in the north, King Ahab is the king of the north. And there is another nation. uh, The king is Ben-Hadad is his name. He's coming from the north to attack Israel, the northern kingdom. And uh, Ahab is obviously... concerned, let's just say, over this. This army that's coming against him is quite large, quite vast, and and Ahab doesn't know exactly how it's all going to turn out. A prophet comes to him in, in 1 Kings chapter 20, and it says this in verse 13, and behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, thus says the Lord, have you seen this great multitude? In other words, this army that's out there. Have you seen this great multitude? Ahab's like, yes, of course I've seen it. Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. It's an incredible moment. Ahab's probably celebrating, going, yes, this is great. The enemy's going to be defeated. Ahab, being a king and wanting to have everything in line, he goes, by whom is this going to happen? He said, thus says the Lord, by the servants of the governors of the districts. And Ahab goes, yes, other people are going to go to battle, and this is fantastic. I'm the king. I can just sit back and watch this victory take place. But he's still concerned because the prophet doesn't leave at that point. And uh, then the king says, Ahab says, who shall begin the battle? And the prophet answered, you. You, king. Nobody else. You, king, have to start this. Because if you don't start this, the victory isn't going to happen. You're the only one who can do this. If you want to see what God will accomplish, we have to move toward him. We have to. God will finish it, but you have to start it. You have to. I think back um, with all of this, and decisions made when I, when I married Shelley back uh, May 23rd, 1992. Glad I got that right, right? Um, May 23rd, 1992. I knew that there had to be a different story than what I experienced as an 18-year-old when my, when my parents uh, finally got a divorce after several years of my mom really, really trying to keep the marriage together. I was like, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want that to be my future. And so when I stood at that altar with Shelley and said, till death do us part, that's me writing a new part of my story. Right? And then my kids, Kelsey, uh, Kayla, uh, Jace, Catherine, gotta make sure I get it all right. <laughs> For my kids, um, I don't want them to have the same broken home that I had, right? So I'm, I'm committed to my children, to loving their mother. I, I heard, it re- heard it said, and it was on, growing up, it was on the wall, strange enough, in our house, um, the greatest gift. A father can give his children is to love their mother. What a fantastic statement. It's the greatest gift that I can give to my kids is to love Shelley. And I don't want, I, I don't want that story to be told. Now, my, my mom had faith through all of this stuff, and I want, to, I want to continue that story, right? But the story of that marriage, you know, all of the, there are different stories that I want to be told than what I see when I look at the past. So the question is. For you, what story do you want to be told about your life, about your relationship with God, about your family? And does your story you want to be told, does it line up with what God's story is for your life? Because God's story, I guarantee, is better than any story you could possibly dream up or think about. God wants to bless. God wants to encourage. God wants to, to give you incredible dreams for the future, for your children, for your parents, for your grandparents. God wants to do that. So the way we respond to this, and this is, the, this is, this is our response here today, is uh, what is your one thing that you're going to begin today to change this story of yours? What is the, what is the one thing that you're going to do? Is, is that one thing for you as a husband to make a decision that you start to make a keystone happen in your life to love your wife differently than you love her now? And that becomes your one thing. Maybe your one thing is parent to uh, go ask forgiveness from your son or your daughter whom you've hurt. It's the one thing that you need to do. Maybe the one thing is to take a look at your finances and realize that, you know what, I, I, I'm making some really unwise decisions with my finances and my one thing for, for this new story that God wants to write in my life, for that new story to happen, the one thing is I've got to change my budget. Super practical, right? Not super spiritual, but unbelievably powerful when changing the story for your children and your grandchildren. If you make decisions now, you're one thing. So, so what is the one thing going to be? Um, and I think that there's a group of you who are here today, and I'm going to ask every head about every head closed for just a moment. Your one thing is that you need to be following after Jesus because you're not following after him now. That that one thing, that the one thing that's going to put you in a new trajectory right now, the story that's being told of your life is unfaithfulness. The story of, that's being told of your life right now is brokenness and hurt and harm and sin. Separation from God and separation from others. You'd say, Pastor, I know I need to start the story with Jesus. And this is the story. This is that one thing today is I'm going to start a new story with Jesus Christ today. If that's you in this room today, can you just very simply raise your hand? We pray that today's message is a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.